All right, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome, especially if it's your first time here. If, whether you're in person or online, we want to welcome you to today's service. My name is Taylor Petrie. I'm the relational ministry leader here at Life Church. Uh, and before we get into today's message, because you already know what we're going to talk about, I want to highlight a quick note of, of business before we begin, begin today. It'll be on the screen here, but we have Grow Night. Uh, that's happening this Wednesday here at the church at 6.30 p.m., and today is the last day for you to sign up to get into a group for Grow Night. And the reason we believe in Grow Night is that we want to create a space or an environment for everyone to get out of rows on Sunday mornings and into circles of community. And so we want to encourage you to, to find a group. You can, you can go out to the cafe at the poster, uh, and you can take a picture or scan that QR code that's on there. Uh, they're also littered throughout the bathrooms. If you have to be in there, there's posters all over. You can download our app or you can go to the website. And when you click Grow Night, it'll tell you all the courses that we offer. You just select one of those uh, and sign up again. We'll end today if you want to get involved. And that begins this Wednesday at 630. So we encourage you to do that. And now we're going to dive into today, which we're talking about James, which you already knew. Uh, but today I thought instead of just doing James chapter 4 and finishing it off, we would kind of go into chapter 5 a little bit. Because for what I have to share with you today, I think it's all very uh, prevalent and I think it's very connected. Um, but James, essentially, remember the brother of Jesus, spent the most time knowing Jesus on this earth than anybody else, is now the leader of the church in Jerusalem and he's writing these letters to new Christians or Jewish Christians. And what James presents to us today in the passages we'll read uh, at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, essentially what James is going to say is that you do not know if tomorrow will come. So how are you going to live when you're faced with the realities of what happens in the tomorrow? What are you going to do when you wake up one day and the things you thought you once had aren't there? Or what are you going to do when you don't wake up one day and what have you left behind? He's going to talk about how we're called to live on mission and live in the will of God. But it's challenging because when we read James, it seems so simple and so straightforward but when you put yourself in the tests of what James is talking about, it becomes one of the hardest things to believe. The very faith that we're professing becomes challenging. And, and James is going to walk us through what it's to be and, and how we're not meant to hold things up for ourselves. We're meant to share them with the world. So uh, I'm going to dive in to James chapter 4, verses 13. We'll go to verse 15 and we'll pause. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. James chapter 4, verse 13 says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. <clears throat> so what James talks about is that you plan to go into tomorrow you have a plan, and that's not even the bad part of it. But think about the culture of who James is talking to. You know, traditionally, people actually did trade goods from place to place, and they had to make plans to travel. So if you and your family needed to pack up because of the spices that you had grown, you would need to get everything for your family and pack up on this trip to wherever you were going and set up shop, live there while you traded and sold different goods. So he's saying you have a plan to go from here to there, but he kind of throws a little bit of caution at that plan. 
But I don't think it's bad to plan. I think it's healthy to plan, and, and I'm not saying he's saying do not plan. But the problem that we have is similar to, to look at where we're at today. We all have plans in life, right? You had a plan last night to show up to church today, and unfortunately, if you're watching online, maybe your plan was to be in person and you couldn't make it in, but regardless, you had a plan. And we have a plan for tomorrow to wake up and to go to work and make an honest living for our families. You know, we have plans. That's not bad. But here's the reality of what we're talking about. We have an expectation that we place on the tomorrow We say, I wish tomorrow could look this way. But then when we're faced with the reality of what life has in store for us and what God has in store for us, we've said before, the difference from the expectation and the reality often leads us to disappointment. But this is the same with our faith too, right? Because when you wake up in the morning and tomorrow has changed from the way you intended it to be and you're living in the reality, there tends to be a disappointment because you wanted tomorrow to look a certain way. And now we're living in the middle of this trial. So James, so James is going to tell us, how are we going to live in the trial when we are never in control in the first place? It's challenging, but Scripture is dense with this. This is the reality. You're but a mist and you're but a vapor. You do not know how long you have on this earth and your days are numbered. So who are you to live like there is a tomorrow? This is what Scripture reiterates throughout, like how short life is. And often I think we don't understand how short life is until it's taken, and then you're staring that sting of death in the face, and the reality begins to set in of what life really is and what it's all about, and it has nothing to do with the, mater- or the material things or the, or the tangible things. It has everything to do with the eternity, and it's a sobering moment. So we're presented with these trials in life. How are we going to bear up under them? And James continues to, to drive this point home. And the reality of what we expect things to look like tomorrow is this. There's two kind of ways I want to frame this today. One reality that we're going to talk about now is that there is a tomorrow and you're in it, but the ones you love and the resources and the things that you need no longer are. That's where we have to look through this lens of we don't know about tomorrow and it matters because the very person I might be trying to reach for Jesus, what if they're not there tomorrow? Why am I making my plans for tomorrow if I don't know that I even have it or that they even have it in the first place? But we're faced with trials, right, when the realities of these things happen. And I'm not going to quantify your grief and I'm not going to quantify your circumstances and put them in a box and say, this is how you should go through it. There's no books on how to go through grief other than what God has said about how we can grieve together, how we can mourn together as a body of believers, But when the hole in your heart is taken from you, from this earth, nothing can ever fill it. The only thing where we find a hint of peace is because if it's a saved Christian, we know where they're eternally resting. That's the truth. But that's not going to fill the hole in your heart. But it should bring you peace. But is this not the mission that we've been called on? Is to value and invest in, and we'll get to this later, but to invest in the lives of people because eternity matters. And the reality is that the person that's left you and has gone to be with Jesus no longer wants to be with you here on this earth. Nobody wants to swallow that, but that's the truth. And I'm not going to say that you need to be happy and consider it pure joy right now because I'm not going to tell you how to grieve. But when you don't have what you thought you would in tomorrow, How can you still place your trust and hope in God because that person is no longer wanting to be in the sinful world that we're in. 
They're in eternity in the glory of God and they're wanting us to be there with them forever. This is how James is gonna continue to challenge us because think about that trial in your life. Put yourself in those shoes. You know it's not easy. I'm not ever gonna tell you, hey, it's gonna be okay because what if it's never okay? Where's your trust in God and where's the faith in the midst of our testings? And that's why the Christian response has to be so unique and it should be different from the world. The Christian response to grief or to trials should be observed as interesting to the outsider. Because if we say we believe and we profess in our faith, what happens when life shakes it up? Because if you go through trials the same way the world does, how is anyone seeing God through what you're going through? Right, James says in the beginning of chapter one, he says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds, because you know the testing of your faith would produce steadfastness, and let steadfastness take its full effect, that you may be made mature and complete, lacking in nothing. The whole idea of steadfastness in that verse means that you have to have a firm foundation to begin with, otherwise the trial is gonna continue to shake you. And I'm not gonna quantify how long the trial will shake you. I'm not saying you can't weep and you can't mourn over the death of a loved one and you can't be, be wrestling with God why tomorrow looks so much different than what we desired. But what I'm saying is, where is God in it? Where is your foundation? And have you been intentional about laying that foundation so that way the people around you can understand who God is? And I was talking with a good friend, Nelson, who sits right here. And we'll talk about their life and what's going on in the little family right now. But one thing I talked with Nelson about is he was, his dad recently passed away last Saturday. Nelson's biggest concern was how do I show my kids or tell my kids what just happened to my father? How do I go and wake my kids up at night and say, hey, I want you to know grandpa went to be with Jesus. How do you say that to a kid? And what we talk through and the only thing we can ever do as Christians is to show them who God is, even when life has shaken us and we don't have words. Amen. All I can do is live by faith and not by sight and trust that God is in control of everything. John MacArthur once said that you might be the most Bible that a Christ, or an unbeliever would ever read. Meaning what you're going through in life, people are looking to you. The world is looking to you and seeing how you're going through trials. And again, I'm not saying to negate your emotions and to negate your feelings. That's not it at all. What I'm saying is, how are you showing other people who Jesus is in your life? Because that's what the Christian response is meant to be. We're not going to put all these things in a box and just say, you know what, when you go through trials, just do this. Yeah, we know what the word of God says. But when your heart's pulled out of your chest, it's really hard to quantify what that means when you have to put it into action. And this is what James calls us as believers to do. But the whole importance of this matters for several reasons. Excuse me, I backed up here. But the whole reason this matters is because of the will of God. It has nothing to do with what you or I desire. It has everything to do with what God's will is over our lives. Our lives. How are we enduring trials and putting God in the, in the center of that? I want to look through that lens as you consider where your trials are and, and where God is and how you've shown the world who God is through it. But the will of God was interesting to me as I was looking through this because there's some common 
common ways in which we grieve that we see kind of across the board. And some of the most common to me are when people just want to be left alone. They don't want the extra meals. They don't want the, the, the encouraging texts. They don't want the, hey, it's going to be okay. They want to just be alone and think about what just happened in life. They want that moment of solitude. The other response you typically see is, why God? It's not fair. Those are common things. And I was, as I was prepping, I was like, well, what does that mean? And why is that such a natural response for us? Especially as believers, I find it interesting because is that not kind of the blueprint to be in communion with God? To be in a place where you can go to him and run to him with just him alone and no distractions and to ask him anything that's on your heart and to ask for his will in your life because if you want to know the will of God, you have to go to God. You can't just sit around and wait for God to walk by you. He's already here. So how we invite him into communion matters when we go through trials, but why are we waiting until trials happen to commune with God? Because Jesus would think about when he, when he retreated and he would be by himself. It's not just because he was sad. He's processing what just happened and he's processing what's to come, but he regularly communed with the Father. It was a normal practice. It should be a normal practice for us to place ourselves in a place where you can be alone with God and you can hear from him and you can just listen. You can make known all your requests and you can cry out to him because what we're going through in the middle of our trials is not easy. When you plan for tomorrow and it doesn't look like the way you desired it to be, how are you communing with God and how are you showing other people even to commune with God regularly? Because if it's his will in the first place, there's nothing we can ever do to answer the why or there's nothing we can ever do to undo anything that God has already done. When it's his will, it's his will. This is, again, why it's so difficult. It's so interesting that it's so common for us to do those things in the middle of the greatest testings that we'll ever face in life. All of that really matters because... It's not about me, it's about God, it's about salvation. How do you live in the will of God when everything that you are holding on to in this world is gone? This is our sobering reality. How are you trusting in God when life changes in tomorrow? I don't have an answer, and what it, we have to figure out what that looks like for ourselves, but if we talk about salvation, it's not just your judgment that's to come. It's everyone's judgment that's to come. So think about everyone that you love and you know that you're trying to reach for Jesus. What if you don't have a tomorrow with them? What if you're in that tomorrow and they are not, and now you're left with the thought of, I wish I could have, or that it's too late. There's an urgency James is placing on stop thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow and why wait? Why not do it now? And we're not just talking about the material things. We're talking about the fact that you're going to face a judgment and he's going to say, what have you done with what I've given you? And there's other people that are going to go there and it's up to us who live on commission for the will of God to be able to share the message of salvation and who Jesus was so that other people can stand before their judgment and hear welcome home. That's like the whole stirring of what we're dealing with in our faith. If you think about what Paul did when he planted the churches, when Paul was around church planting, if you read throughout his, 
his books or his epistles to Corinth or Ephesus or Galatia, he writes things at the end of them that says like, if God wills it, I will return. He doesn't say, I'll be back. You got that, I promise that. He doesn't make those promises because he knows that it's God's will and that if anything's gonna be done on this earth, if anybody's gonna be brought to know who Jesus is, it's because of the will of God. I'm only in charge of being a submissive and obedient servant to what he's called me to do. If Paul walked into the church and said, I'll be back next week, then he would be telling the church, essentially, you need to wait to do anything until I come back. But Paul was reaching the lost people and sharing the message of salvation with them, and he was training them up and teaching them about the operations of what the church should be and what happened to him on the road to Damascus or, or how we can be sending people out to make more disciples. Paul didn't leave anything behind because it was the will of God and not what Paul thought he could do. And the whole reason he said, I will return if the Lord wills it and things of those, like that nature is because he knew what mattered was not just who he was but who God is through it all and that's all that ever mattered. Imagine if the church hindered the growth on Paul. He didn't return because he did die. But the church continued on. And that was the will of God. And this is where we're going to talk about, we're going to read this next few passages of Scripture. Because James is essentially going to say, you know the work that needs to be done. Failing to do it's going to be sinful. And if you heap anything up for yourself, it's going to be a bad time. So we're going to finish out chapter 4 here. It'll be on the screen. Start in verse 16. We're going to roll right in to chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. It says this, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Whew. That's tough to read, but that's the convicting part of what we're called to do, is he lays it out in this wisdom literature to say, like, there's something you need to be doing, and failing to do it, it's going to be a very bad time, and I want you to understand how temporary life really is, because everything else is fleeting, but only salvation can bring us to eternity. As I was thinking through this, I was thinking about being in the military, and every month that you were in service you got two and a half days of leave. Meaning that every time you spend a month getting paid by Uncle Sam, you got two and a half days to use to take for whatever you decided that would be approved to do. And it's amazing how quickly you could add that balance up over time. Like you could get to 75 days really quick because you find out how you don't really just get two and a half days off every month. But at least in the Navy, you could get up to, I think it was 75 days of leave. So after however many years that is, I'm not doing the math, you've got to have 75 days in your balance, but at the end of the fiscal year, so October 1st, 
that leave would come up, and if you had any days over 75, it was cut off and it was gone. It was called use or lose leave, meaning if you don't use it, it's gone. But we would always tell people, like, hey, guys, don't forget, fiscal year is ending. You've got leave in the books. You might want to use it or you're going to lose it. You understand that we've held something up for so long and we've desired to use it for ourselves. And if we don't use it, when the time comes and it's too late, it's gone. If you never use that leave and you get out of the military, that's 75 free days of paid vacation that you didn't use. They'll sell it back to you, but that's a different point. Cheaper. <laughs> for cheaper. Way cheaper. And then they'll tax it. Anyway, um, the, other, the other relatable thing I was thinking about was, well, how many of you have done a DIY project and like looked to YouTube for your source of inspiration? A couple more in this service. First service was only, it was only Dan. Um, well, my wife and I are in the process of buying a house and it needs work, a lot of work. And I have been on a YouTube streak of how to do X, Y, Z. And I know, like, when they do these projects, I'm like, that is super simple. Why would I ever hire anybody to do that? And I'm like, well, maybe my walls are different than their walls. I probably have wires going through, and my electric's probably not wired right. My plumbing's probably all messed up. So if I did that, it would probably just be a mess. And I know I can do all of it. It's, it's here. It's in a five-minute video. I, I'd just rather hire someone to do the work for me. But this is the problem that we have is you've seen a task done or you know the work that's to be done. You've been told how to do it. You've been equipped. And you've been given the tools. But sometimes we fail to even start the project for fail, a failure. Like to fear, we fear failure. That's hard to say. We fear the failure of getting into something and messing it up when really sometimes we can only measure fear by not starting something in the first place even when you know What's going to happen? John Smart came over to my house a few weeks ago because my sink wouldn't unplug and we couldn't figure it out. We replumbed the whole thing and it was still plugged. And like 20 minutes later, it just started going away. I'm like, this isn't in the DIY video. <laughs> I had the tools. I knew what I was doing and I thought I had failed. I just had to wait and give it time. Sometimes when we know the work that's to be done, failure is not doing anything with it because for him it is sin. And I talked with Mike, so I'm not going to use these big fancy terms this time because he says he checks out when he hears them. So there's two types of sin I want to look at, uh, and I'm going to call them when God told you not to murder or to uh, not to commit adultery or not to bear false witness. He said, do not do this, but if you do it, it's sinful, right? It's sinful to murder or, or bear false witness or commit adultery, right? But don't forget God also called us to do something. The Great Commission is to go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a commission to do, but failure to do it is also sinful. Meaning there's things that we have to do, there's things that we have to avoid, but at the end of the day, that whatever God has commanded us, we are to do, and I think we forget that part. There's work that needs to be done, and there should be no barriers to doing it. If we profess to be Christians, that's what's required. Yet that's what's so hard. As we consider how we think about tomorrow, this is where we find ourselves in the tomorrow where now let's assume you're not in it, but everyone else is. What are you going to do with what God has given you today? Because if you wait to tomorrow and you're the only person that that lost person may ever be able to hear the message of Jesus from, 
What work are you doing now with what God has given you and what gifts and, and what talents and what time God has given you? How are you being a steward of that? Like Paul, if he was going to the churches, he had no choice but to do what God had called him to do because that was what God wanted. We don't have a choice. There's a commission that we have to go live out. Think about reading every book on ever known to man, assuming you could, and storing it up in your brain and never telling anybody anything about it or even translating your life to live in a, in a better way because of what the books have said. Imagine dying and having all that knowledge and never sharing it with anybody. All those books are gonna rot one day. They mean nothing. But what you could have done for someone or how you could invest it in what you knew could have changed someone's life. It's the same with this. The unbeliever or the person who's never read the Bible, that's something we have. We should be sharing that with them because it's not so much like your garments are gonna rot and your silver and your gold's gonna corrode. It's about what have you kept for yourself that you should have given to other people and how can you be the light to the dark in the world and how can you be that person who's attractive through relationships, the salt and the light. How can you bring people to Jesus with what God has given you because we all have a unique gift. We all have a unique, unique way of communicating and reaching people and reaching the lost and we all could sit here and think of people we know that need to hear Jesus yet we plan for tomorrow but what if you're not in tomorrow? Why are we banking on that person coming to know Jesus by assuming that we would be here in the tomorrow? This is why James is challenging us as believers. He says don't store these things up for yourself. Because if you could imagine looking back on your life, think about this. If you could stand at your judgment and you could look back at every blessing God had given you in life and every trial that you have endured on this earth, if there was any remnants of things left back or things you kept for yourself, imagine they're just heaped up in these big piles. What's God's response gonna be when he said, I did this to you and I gave this to you and I wanted you to do it with this but you kept it for yourself. When we withhold things from people, are we living in the will of God? And I'm not gonna sit here and say you need to sell everything. We know those parables. And I'm not saying that you need to, to just, every time you get something, just give it away immediately. I know we need to live. But it's about more than just the, the material or the tangible things. It's not just about the gold and the silver. Because consider, what if in that trial, God's trying to bring someone to their faith by the way that you endure it, by the way that you go through the trial, and bring someone to salvation through that message? Think about these real things that happen in life. Every opportunity matters. It's cliche, but it's only too late when it's too late. And as I was thinking through this, um, and I talked with Nelson um, this past week, a good friend, uh, he's attended the church for 15 years, uh, consider him family, and they're sitting here right now, some of them. But Scott Little passed away last Saturday and it's my good friend Nelson's dad. And I watched that family grieve hard last Saturday. And one thing, if you know Scott, you can see his squinted eyes and his little belly and his smile and his Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> That's, you can see Scott and you know how radiant and joyous he was to be in church and especially to talk about Jesus, really. The man was a wealth of knowledge. But Scott's whole idea and I'm sure, and I talked with Nelson about this, but he planned on being at church on Sunday morning last Sunday. 
But what I just found out was that he actually intended on having his nephew who was questioning coming to church attend, and he's actually here today again. His plan was to bring someone to church who he knew he loved and he valued and he wanted to show him more of Jesus. Is that a bad plan to have? What happens in the tomorrow when you're not in it? His nephew was still able to attend church. Nelson was here with him last week. It was beautiful. Scott's wife, Tammy, was with family and intended to go home to her husband and to come to church Sunday morning and experience that with her family until she went home and found her husband lifeless on this earth but eternally resting with Jesus. What happens in the tomorrow when you're in it and the loved one that you know is not? This is all the reality of what we're talking about. We don't know. But what was so cool is through this story, as I remember Nelson, I think it was a few months ago now, called me on the phone and I used your voice, so I'm gonna use it again. <laughs> hey, Bubba, what's going on? And I'm like, hey man, what are you doing? He was like, dude, I've been really wrestling with, I feel like God's calling me to ministry and I don't know what that looks like. And Nelson was working a lot and, and, and he was busy and he's like, how do I work full time and, and overtime and still figure out how to live on mission and take care of my family in this process. And we went at it for probably an hour and a half on the phone, just like, well, let's, let's, let's explore some options. Nelson thought he should go to college. And I remember saying, like, are you sure that's what God's saying? Or is he saying that you just need to learn more or get more knowledge? And he's like, well, I think it's just more knowledge. And he kept wrestling this out with God. And what we end up talking about is he was like, I just feel like I want to do a Bible study because I want to reach lost people. I want to get people and teach people these habits of what it's like to learn about who God is through his word. I want to do it. I was like, let's start it. I remember saying, hey, we're going to meet up regularly and we'll talk about this. Whatever you think God's put on your heart, let's put it on the table and let's see where it goes. And so Nelson's on fire and he's calling people left and right. I don't know how many phone calls he made to his family after this, how many conversations he had. But he was on fire to get this Bible study going. And I remember he said, I'm going to bring dad on board, Scott. And, and Nelson and Scott begin to have like these ideal father-son conversations where we say, I would love to sit down with my child one day and talk about nothing but Jesus for hours. They start having these conversations regularly. And what's cool too is that, well, 2013 is when you got married, Right? Nelson had bought a voice recorder, old school. You know what I'm talking about? You say your thoughts on it, you record your voices. And one thing he wanted to do was he wanted to share the story of who his dad was because I remember when my great-grandmother, before she had passed, she said, you don't know about my life. And I was like, I actually don't. I didn't know her maiden name. I didn't know where she was born. I didn't know her siblings. I didn't know her parents' names. I didn't know she was orphaned because of the Great Depression. So, so stories are huge. And Nelson said, I want to share this with my family because it's something I can have forever. And Nelson played back in the truck last week, this past week, some of that recording. And in the recording, one of the things that Scott had shared about his life was that he wanted his nephew, Thad, to be baptized. And those of you that know, this was recorded in June. Thad was baptized this past year in like September. And he got to watch it. Through the relationship that Scott had with his own family, he was bringing people to church. He was watching his family be baptized. He's investing into his son. And we had breakfast a couple weeks ago. 
with Scott and Thad, his nephew, who was baptized, Nelson, myself. We're at the Country Post, and we're talking about this Bible study. And Scott is elated because I'm telling you, when he knows more than you could ever imagine about the Bible, Scott knows a lot about the Bible. And as we were talking, he's like, I just really want to share Jesus with people because there's people who don't know where to start, and I want to help them out. And we were just brainstorming ideas of how we can get people engaged. We had a plan for the Bible study. You saw it advertised today, but we didn't know what that would look like because Scott was gone, and who am I to say, Nelson, you have to do the Bible study because we advertise it. I wasn't going to do that. We sat in his truck, and I said, are you sure? Like, do you want to keep doing the Bible study? And he stopped me, and he just said, there's no doubt in my mind that my dad was training me for this. Scott invested everything that he had and gave it to his son. He watched people's lives change and come to Jesus through this journey. His death was unexpected, yet he didn't store anything up for himself. Yeah, sure, there's, there's material things, there's tools and airbrushes and things that are left behind from Scott that eventually one day will rot because they're not eternal. But the one thing that is, is salvation. And what Scott did in that message of sharing his life, if you join us later today for the celebration of Scott Little's life here at the church, at the very end, Scott basically made an altar call where he said he just desires all of his friends and all of his family to know Jesus. So Scott Little's voice will be in here this afternoon and he will be calling every one of his friends and every one of his family and anyone who's lost and brokenhearted up to the front to say yes to Jesus and begin their life again. He didn't store any of that up. The timing, Nelson and I just sat in, in silence. You can't make that timing up. But when we're called to live without the ones in tomorrow, what are we doing? I'm gonna invite the worship team up. Because this is what's hard. When you don't know if you're in tomorrow or you don't know who's in tomorrow, it's scary. It's sobering. Especially when the death has that sting, when your stomach falls out and your heart gets ripped out. You know, like when, when you're faced with the reality of I don't have what I thought I would have in tomorrow and you're wrestling out with God, What's to come? We say like, God, why do you feel so distant? But as believers, remember, God never is distant. We can only make him feel that way because of how we use him. He's calling us to communion. He's calling us to draw near to him. But it's not easy. Drawing near is never easy. The easy response is to walk away and to feel and to do what I think is best for me in these moments, not remembering that there's people looking to you how to grieve and how to go through hard times. None of us can sit here and say we want a trial. Like, yeah, God, bring me a trial. I'm ready for it. Nobody can, nobody can say that because it's different when you're in it versus when you're not. Nobody says, I want the tears, I want the unhappiness, I want the unrest, I want the loss of sleep, I want the heartache. Nobody says we want that. But living in the will of God might require that that's what we endure, but our suffering is never wasted. Consider it pure joy because there is a crown of life that's to come for you and for your loved ones who come to know Jesus Christ and it is your job to share the message with them, not to wait for someone else to intervene on your behalf and what God's doing in your life to bring them to Jesus. We need to focus on eternity 
because we don't know what the next moment has for us. God is sovereign. He is the author and the finisher. And the only thing we can ever do is trust in him. And when we say why, there is no answer. But there is a hope that all things that are unsettled today will be settled in eternity. And it's the only thing we could ever hope in is that God would be in control of everything. And through every trial and through every fear, through every tear and everything that we go through in life, we need to consider how we're letting God use us for his glory and giving it to him because that's who, that's who deserves it and nothing else. Nothing else matters apart from the will of God and doing what he's called us to do. Because you know what he says when you withhold from people? He says, the cries of the people that are withheld from are heard by the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies. If there's anything in life that you have ever had to give someone and you felt like God is telling you to give it someone, if you hold it up for yourself and you store it up for yourself one day, you're gonna stand judgment before God and he's the Lord of armies and he hears the cries of the people who needed what he gave to you to give to them. I don't wanna be there. I'm going to be doing what God has called me to do regardless. So you please stand so I can pray for you. God, we ask today that you would just find us faithful. Lord, we believe in your sovereignty and that you are in control of all things. And when we can't see it, when we can't feel it, and when we can't understand it, Lord, let us rest in you. We don't know how much time we have on this earth and the only things that matter are getting back to you. So let us focus on eternity and not just tomorrow. Let us use with what you've given us today so that way we don't have the what ifs. Let us lay it all out there, God. Let us be on mission for you to reach the lost and to teach them up and to send them out to watch another story be rewritten for eternity, God. Use us. Let us not store things up for ourselves, but let us be intentional and purposeful with everything that you have given us, Lord. Open our hearts and our minds to ways that we can't even fathom because ultimately you're in control, God, and you get the glory. We place our hope in you, Lord. We place our trust in you, God, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
So what do we have to fear? If God has put anything on your heart, don't wait until tomorrow or plan to tomorrow to do it. Live with what you have now and invest in eternity because it matters, because we don't know tomorrow and we shouldn't be living like there is one. So I want to encourage you this week and challenge you this week. Though it might be comfortable, what do you have to lose by trying to reach someone for Jesus? Through relationships, how can we be involved in the lives of those we know need to hear the gospel message? So I want to thank you all for being here today. I want to pray for traveling mercies as you go your separate ways. We look forward to seeing you again next time. God bless you all. We love you.